Our passage today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 through 19. If you want to open up your Bible or your phone and follow along today. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. The Apostle Paul is writing these words from a prison cell in chains to Timothy, his son in the faith, Timothy is a pastor. He's probably a pastor of pastors. He's experiencing opposition from inside his churches, from outside of his churches. And he is thinking about letting the gas pedal off on his faith. And so Paul is writing this letter with a real sense of urgency, knowing that it's probably his last words or some of his last words. He says in verse 14, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says in verse 14, remind them of these things. If you were here last week, you remember that we started last week's passage by Timothy needed to be reminded. Paul said to Timothy, Remember, now Timothy is remembering and Paul is saying, now pass that reminder on to your people. Remind them of these things and charge them before God. So what Paul is getting ready to say is of extreme value. He tells Timothy, tell them as God is my witness, I want you to follow these instructions, not to quarrel about words. Now you wouldn't think that if you were going to go to all the trouble to say, remind them of these things and as God is my witness, Don't argue about words would not be what would float to the top of the list. And yet it is for Paul. Paul's telling Timothy, don't get caught up in semantics. Don't get caught up on little arguments that really don't matter that much. If you remember in John chapter 14, Jesus meets the woman at the well. And that's what she does. The the conversation starts to get a little bit too intense. And so she tries to distract Jesus with the religious debate. She, he, she says to Jesus, you know, your people, the Jewish people, they worship on this mountain over there. But my people, the Samaritans, we think that you should worship on this mountain over here. Meanwhile, Jesus, the son of God, the savior of the world, Messiah, is sitting at this well with her. And she's got a lot going on in her personal life. Jesus points out to her supernaturally. He knows that she has been married five times and is living with a man who is not her husband. So she's got Jesus sitting there and she's got a lot going on in her personal life. And yet, what is she want to talk about she wants to debate about some minor philosophical differences where should we worship we should worship on that mountain we should worship on this mountain who knows we do those same things too because it's easier to quarrel about religious words than it is to obey it's easier to argue than to pray so we get in little debates paul tells timothy don't let minor things draw you away from the major things Don't get caught up in what is not important and lose what is important. You know, for us, it it might be 
arguments or debates about the order of events when Jesus returns. The scripture says clearly that Jesus promised his disciples in the same way that he was leaving. The angel said he is going to return. It's one of the weirder things that you believe, that Jesus was alive, dead, alive, ascended into heaven, and will one day return. And yet it is what gives us so much hope in this world. But there's lots of passages of scripture that explain the details around his coming, but to put them in order, a specific order, is a challenge. And so lots of different people do try to put it in order, and you, and then we debate about it. Which order is the best order? Which one do we want to believe? And we can get into these arguments. And Paul tells Timothy, Paul would tell us by the Spirit of God, don't quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. When you are having religious debates, at what point do you stop caring about the person that is listening to you and you only care about winning? It's pretty quick into an argument. You lose all love for the person that you're speaking to. So you don't care, and I don't care, if they're changed. Uh, You don't care if they're transformed into the image of Christ. We don't care if they're comforted. All we care about is winning. If you ever took a speech and debate class in high school or in college, uh, you remember that you were assigned a topic. You you didn't pull out some topic and then begin to debate. Your teacher assigned you one and you decided with your partner which side you would take and which side they would take. So at that point, it's really not about trying to convince the person of your point of view because 30 seconds earlier, you didn't have a point of view. You just want to win. That's the point of speech and debate. And and that's the point of arguing about religion in 2019. I mean, when was the last time that you read a Facebook argument that it seemed that people genuinely cared for one another? (laughs) No. When we have an attitude of of argument, the, the things that we believe... Even though we believe them, it's not about our belief in them. It just becomes about our validation that we are right. And so arguing about words, it just ruins us. Arguing about spiritual nuances that aren't that important, it it ruins us. Verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So in contrast to arguing about words, Paul tells Timothy, present yourself to God as one approved. Meaning one who has been tested. Like an apprentice takes takes a test before they can officially take up that trade. No one likes a test. And we especially don't like the tests that God gives us because those tests often are suffering, are, are trials. It says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's why you and I go through hardships is because in those trials, our faith is proved genuine. 
like gold in a furnace. How do you know that you're moving on to spiritual maturity? When we're tested. When we suffer. You can't know just by coming to church on Sunday that you are growing spiritually. This is not a hard test. I don't care how difficult your children were this morning. It's not hard to come to church. I mean, think about how hard it is on us when the church goes a little bit too long. Throws everything out of whack. Even that is not a true test of our faith. It's, it's only when we suffer. It's only through pain. It's only through difficulty that the genuineness of our faith can come out. And Paul tells Timothy, when you present yourself to God, you present yourself as one who has been through one of those tests so that you can stand before your people and say, this is genuine. You don't want spiritual leaders who have not been tested. All they're doing is hearing someone else and passing that on to you. Timothy needs to stand in front of his people and say, I've been approved by God because I've been through the fire, because I've been through the furnace, because the chaff has been burned away. And what I'm giving to you is genuine and it is meaningful. It's not a quarrel about words. There's weight and meaning to it. A worker who has no need to be ashamed. Now, I have lived this phrase. I think I've mentioned to you before, but when I was in high school was when my pastor recognized some pastoral skill in me, and he gave me an opportunity to preach at our church. It was a Sunday night, so it was low risk, low attendance there on Sunday nights. And I did an okay job. And so he would farm me out. We grew up in kind of a rural community. And so there were lots of small churches who didn't have pastors. And they would look to him because he had some influence because we were from the bigger city and uh, to help them find a preacher for this Sunday or that Sunday. And so sometimes he would call me that week and say, hey, I want you to go and preach at this very small country church. And so the first one that I remember going to was about an hour and a half out into the country uh, from my house. I get up to this little uh, church. And I loved preaching. I really loved to do that. What I didn't love was the hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of preparation that said sermon required. And so I thought, I'm a senior in high school. I'll just cheat. I'll just work the system. I will preach a sermon that I've already preached. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But ideally, if you're going to preach a sermon that you've already preached, you would have prayed prayers that you had not already prayed. Uh, You would be reading your Bible in general about other things. I wasn't doing any of that because I was 17 years old. No offense to any 17-year-olds. I'm sure you were wonderful and passed the test of genuineness and let's trade right now. But at the time, I didn't do any of that. I thought I'd just show up on Sunday, push play on a sermon that I had already preached and it would be great. And essentially that's what I did. And so I start teaching this message that I've already taught. And if it was socially acceptable to have said in the middle of that message, listen, this is not going very well. I know it. You know it. Let's just shut this thing down and go home. I would have done that if it were socially acceptable. That's what you're hoping I'll do right now, isn't it? I know it is. I'm not. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're going to be here a long time. Long time. That parking lot is going to be a nightmare whenever I'm finished with you. But I just uh, kept going. After the message was over, I felt so embarrassed about what I had done. And not that I didn't do a good job presenting. I think probably that I did. There was just no life 
in it. And I was so embarrassed that I literally snuck out of the church. A guest pastor is supposed to stand in the lobby and shake people's hands and do that thing. Thank you for coming. No, it was my pleasure for being here. But I didn't do any of that. I snuck out. And as I was getting into my car to drive away uh, back home, um, a, a sweet person chased me outside and handed me a check. I mean, you talk about ashes on your head. So when Paul tells Timothy, when you get out to lead people, you do it in a way that you don't have anything to be ashamed of. I know exactly why he is warning him about that. As one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. He says, this is how you can have confidence when you stand to minister before people. This is how you have confidence when you tell somebody about the gospel because you know how to rightly handle the word of God. Uh, The picture is of something being straight. Like if you go to eat at a restaurant, what you're hoping for is that the waiter or waitress will take your food straight from the kitchen to your table. What a nightmare it would be if you made reservations at some place you had heard about because the food was fantastic. You got a babysitter, you got all gussied up, and you went to that restaurant, and you ordered the thing that had had the great reputation, and the chef prepares it, puts it in that little window. The waiter or waitress grabs it. They're carrying it to you, but they stop halfway between the kitchen and your table. Then they pull out some of their own ingredients. I think it needs a little bit more salt, a little bit more pepper. I'm going to add a little splice of lemon here. And then they bring it to you. You would say, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not how this works. It's, it's your job as the waiter or waitress to bring the food straight from the kitchen to the table. I don't want any interference in, in the way. That is what Paul means when he says, Tim, Timothy should rightly handle the word of truth, that the, the word of God would be the word of God as Timothy receives it, and it would not be twisted by the time that the people hear it. Right? That Timothy wouldn't add his own take on it. He wouldn't add his own spin on it. He wouldn't change it in any way, but he would deliver it straight away to them. And remember, this isn't just for pastors. This is a passage for everybody because just a few verses up From this, he says that all of us should be entrusting this message to faithful people who will then entrust it to other faithful people. We're all a link in this chain, not just professional ministers. So when you go to share the gospel, you need to make sure that you're taking it straight from the heart of God to the person that you're sharing it with. You say, well, I don't have time to go to seminary and become a professional. I I don't have time to become an expert in knowing the Bible. The best way that you can protect yourself and other people from bad interpretation and teaching of the scripture is just for you to read the Bible yourself. You don't need to go to seminary. You don't need to take online Bible classes, although please do if you got the time. If you will just read it from the beginning to the end, from the middle to the end, from the middle to the front, however, if you'll just read it, when you hear something that's wrong, you will recognize it as wrong. I watched a documentary about Jehovah's Witnesses not too long ago, and I'm not picking on them. It just, they just happened to be the subject of the documentary. And after listening to people inside 
Jehovah's Witnessism and people who had left. Um, it sounds so much like the historic Christian faith that we believe. There are so many things that we have in common. And yet when they talk about God, it is not the God of the Bible. They took a couple of stories from the Old Testament, then skipped all the way to the end in Revelation, and then they just jammed those two things together, lost everything in the middle. But if you had not been reading your Bible, you would maybe be susceptible. But if you had just simply read through the scripture, you would recognize this is not God as he is revealed in the scripture. You don't have to be an expert to learn to tell the difference between what is true and what is not true. We just have to do the things that we probably should already be doing so that we can rightly handle the word of truth. Verse 16, but avoid irreverent babble. So Paul has sandwiched bad talk, good talk, now more bad talk, but avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Your version of the Bible may have translated um, irreverent babble as godless chatter which I love because it makes me think of a Halloween skeleton with their teeth just clanking together. That's what godless chatter is. It's just clanking, 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 but nothing of value coming out. It's spiritual nonsense. Irreverent babble. And it leads us, and it leads people to more and more ungodliness. Uh, Spiritual nonsense is like a Twinkie. It tastes good. It's actually harming you while it tastes good. These are our religious platitudes that we pass on to one another. God helps those who help themselves. Benjamin Franklin said that. It sounds true. It sounds motivating and inspiring. If I get on with it, God's going to give me his help. But that's not an accurate picture of what the scripture says. Because what happens when you can't get on with it? Our God swoops down and helps at the point where we can't get on with it. When God closes a door, he opens a window. That tastes good. Uh, not true for the Apostle Paul. He was in jail. Closed door, no window. <laughs> God took her because he must have needed an angel. It sounds... Vaguely comforting. Actually not as comforting as what is inside the scripture about what happens to the people that we love who have passed on. But we just pass these religious platitudes around because they're as easy to eat eat as Twinkies. They're pre-packaged. They taste good. Nobody gets offended. But it's spiritual nonsense. This isn't just people out there on the internet who are passing on these memes and sayings. It's it's Christians who can't tell what's meat and what's snack food. And Paul says, you got to be careful because in verse 17, their talk will spread like gangrene. There's a reason those platitudes 
are so prevalent, it's because they're easy to hear. They're easy to believe and they're easy to pass on. They're well said, they're well put together and they spread like an infection. So who knows how many millions of people in the United States of America think that if they try really hard, God will help them. Someone even in this room today thinks you are going to get to God because you're here trying to help yourself get to God. And you're going to believe that for your whole life and miss the beauty and richness of the truth, which is you can't do squat to help yourself. But the son of God came to earth. He swooped down in the midst of our sin and said, follow me. I will lead you out and I will lead you out with my cross and my resurrection. How much better of a message is that to warm your heart and make a difference than try really hard and God might help you. But the gospel doesn't fit on a four by four picture in my Facebook feed. So I pass on God helps those who help themselves. But that just leads us to more and more and more ungodliness that spreads like a bad infection. Among whom are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. Paul's at the end of his life, so he's just naming names. (laughs) Uh, These two were teaching a message that sounded right, but was not right. They were saying that the resurrection has already happened. Again, one of the things that we believe as Christians is just as Jesus was resurrected with a body. Remember, his, uh, his disciples, could, they could feel him. They could touch him. He ate with them. It was really, it wasn't a ghost. Um, we too will be reunited with our bodies. Our bodies will be resurrected. When Jesus returns, our spirit, we have been with the Lord, but we're going to be reunited with our resurrected and whole body. Why? Because God created our bodies, because he loves us, because we have loved one another in our bodies. I remember one of the things that I miss most after my grandpa passed away when we would go back to Missouri to visit him is the first hug that I would give him when he came over to see us once we were there. And he had the, the, the most specific scratchy face, right? You know? And, and I, I, I miss that. And it's comforting to know that while he is with the Lord in heaven right now, one day I'm going to touch that scratchy face again. It gives me comfort. God loves us. He cares about us and he created our bodies. He didn't just create it to discard them. Right? So the resurrection of the dead is an important doctrine of the historic Christian faith. But in the first century Greek culture, they didn't believe that. They believed that your body was bad Your spirit was good. So the resurrection of the dead meant very little to them. In fact, sounded backwards to them. So Hymenaeus and Philetus, you know what they did? They did what we do, which is I'm going to sand all of the edges off the gospel that you don't like so that when I give it to you, you will receive it. So they said, well, if our culture doesn't like this idea of the resurrection of the dead, let's just make it spiritual. It's a spiritual resurrection of the dead. Jesus was 
resurrected and we are resurrected with him. That sounds right and is in fact some degree of right. But they were leading people astray. And Paul says it had upset the faith of some. Some people's over, the faith was being overturned because of their message. Verse 19, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now you'll notice that those two phrases, the Lord knows who are his and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Those are in quotation marks, which means it's a quote from something that the scripture has already said. Paul is paraphrasing uh, parts of the Old Testament and bringing it forward to these New Testament believers. Now, Bible scholars are not sure exactly what he's quoting because there are a couple of places in the Old Testament that sound just like this. One of them is from Numbers chapter 16. And there, there are some people who were rebelling against Moses and Aaron. They were God's spokespeople. God was performing signs and wonders through Moses and Aaron. They were the ones who led Israel from slavery in Egypt and towards the promised land. Well, they were regular people and some other leaders, some people of influence in Israel were like, hey, why does God only use Moses and Aaron? Why do people only listen to them? We've got things to share. We're better leaders than them. Uh, This whole thing, this is a dictatorship with Moses and Aaron at the top. We've had enough of this. And so they started kind of stirring people up for rebellion. Long story short, God says to people, get away from Korah and friends. That Korah was the main leader. Get away from them. And then the ground opened up and Korah and the people who had rebelled fell into it and the ground closed back up. Uh, so don't rebel against Moses and Aaron. (laughs) So Paul may be reaching back to that story and bringing it forward into this letter he's writing Timothy because what he's saying to Timothy is, listen, you got to get away from Hymenaeus and Philetus. You got to get away from people who are saying spiritual nonsense because the stakes are really, really high. This is a big deal. They're saying things that aren't true. They're saying things that actually lead to people being more and more ungodly. Real quick, as we finish, there are three takeaways that I want you to see. I wouldn't mind if you wrote these down. Number one, offer yourself to God as a worker who passed the test. Offer yourself to God as a worker who has passed the test. Your life should be an offering to God. Later on in this letter, Paul is going to compare himself to a drink offering that's being poured out. Your life is an act of worship. You worship God by serving people the truth with genuineness. Worship is more than a song. Worship is more than what we do before the message. Worship is you serving God by giving people the truth from genuineness. A genuineness that comes from being tested. It means that you and I need to move away from being a consumer of spiritual goods and services to considering ourselves as workers. Paul tells Timothy in verse 15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed. God is always at work 
in you and God always wants to work through you. In and through. Which one are you neglecting? There are some people who want God to work through, 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 through. They serve, they serve, they serve, they serve, they serve, but there is no deposit being made. And so they reach the end of their resources and burn out. So it could be that a few of us are empty because we've just been serving, 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 serving. I'm guessing that is just a very small handful. Most of us, God is working in, 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 depositing, depositing. We are receiving, receiving, receiving. And yet we are not making ourselves available for God to work through us. But in and through is what God wants. You were made to do more than just consume someone else's sacrifice to God. You too have a sacrifice to offer. You serve God by giving people the truth with genuineness. Number two, avoid empty spiritual talk. As I mentioned, Hymenaeus and Philetus probably were just being practical. No one in their Greek culture knew anything or could hear anything about a resurrection from the dead. So they thought, well, let's just spiritualize it because it's easier to hear. Christianity is filled with easy to hear ideas that are wrong. There is such a temptation for pastors, people like me, to just find out what you want me to say and then say it. You know why? Because just like Walmart doesn't want to have a business that has no customers, pastors don't want to have churches that no one comes to. And how do you get people to come? Well, you give them what they need. How do you know what they need? You go and ask them what they need. Whenever you have an itch on your back, you go to your spouse or some stranger, I don't know how you roll. Uh, you, you, you tell them where to scratch. It's my shoulder blade, a little to the right, no, down. Right. The Apostle Paul in chapter four, listen to what he says. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We are in a day, we will continue to be in a day where we the people say, this is what we want to hear. This is where I need scratched. And I'm going to go and find a church that will scratch where I tell them to scratch. And if you deviate from that, I'm just going to take my business down the road to somewhere else. That's how the church ends up filled with empty spiritual talk. But we've got to run away from that. We have to run away from that because we want to be waiters and waitresses who just take what is God's and deliver it to people. And number three, we want to run from sin. Paul says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. 
orthodox belief without obedience is useless. What does it matter if we believe the right things and do not do the right things? I think I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that Willa, who's three, is playing soccer. Yesterday was her first game, yesterday morning, and so uh, she looked amazing. She was dressed up like an Eskimo, of course, because it was cold outside. And, uh, and she had her hair in a ponytail with a big blue Texas-sized bow. Her little jersey went all the way down to her knees, looked like a dress. She had pink cleats with pink shin guards and pink soccer socks over the shin guards. She looked like a million bucks. Right? Uh, we, were, we were encouraged when we first got there and they were doing the warm-up thing because she would uh, kick the ball, and when she did, she would growl at it. So... <laughs> She was seeming a little aggressive, which was great because the few practices that she had before, well, let's just say she participated like one-fourth of the time. She wasn't being obstinate or anything. She was just opting out of practice. And so we were encouraged. Like maybe, you know, she's a competitor. The lights go on. The whistle blows. That's when she's all in. She didn't have time for practice and other things. So I think her aggressiveness at the beginning earned her a starting place in the lineup, which her practice did not merit at all. (laughs) And so they line them all up in the center of the field and the whistle blows and the ball takes off. Will is right there and she does not move. The entire time that she was in the game, she stood in that one place. They were running back this way. They would turn around, run the other way. She never deviated from that place. Sometimes she would turn and watch them, but I don't think her feet ever moved once her coach placed them in that place. By God's grace, he eventually took her out, and she was more than happy to just watch the rest of the game. (laughs) Played about three minutes, set out the rest of the game. I was happy about that because, again, she looked amazing. (laughs) But if you saw us... Uh, walking out to the field, you would think there, right there is a soccer player. She had the jersey. She had her hair perfect. She had her shin guards, her cleats. She looked the part. But what did it matter if she didn't play? And ultimately, what does it matter if you say you believe all of the right things? If it just is a list of things that you believe if we're not going to do them. Paul tells Timothy, these are the things that need to be done. The Spirit of God tells us this morning, these are the things that need to be done. So let's do them. Let's pray.